If you can't be different, be better. Here's how solo side hustlers can compete in crowded, competitive, expensive spaces. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because sometimes your best customers don't even know they need your help. So how can you find them? Well, it takes a little creativity and you'll have to ask, well, what questions do they have that are somewhat related to my business? If you Google Washington DC tour guide, Rob Petingalo is nowhere to be seen, yet he still brought in 40 grand last year hosting walking tours in Washington DC, all on the side from his day job. His secret sauce has been creating helpful, tourist-friendly content on YouTube, an outlet largely ignored by his better-funded competitors. Stick around to hear how Rob has grown triphacksdc.com into a fun and cash-flowing side hustle, how he leverages YouTube to reach his target customers rather than traditional tour marketplaces, and how he's growing the business beyond just himself giving tours. You'll find the full-text summary of our call, along with links to all the resources mentioned over at sidehustlenation.com slash triphacksdc. Now, whether you're leading private tours or providing another type of service, you're going to need a reliable and professional way to get paid. Our sponsor, FreshBooks, has been making life easier for service providers for the last 15 years. Now's the time to automate your invoicing and get paid faster with credit cards or direct deposit. Side Hustle Show listeners can claim a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks. There's no credit card required. Head on over to freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the Side Hustle Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started today. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this chat with Rob after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. Well, I've been a tour guide for, this is about to be my eighth season as a tour guide. So I've been leading people around Washington, D.C. for a while. The first four of those years, I was working for one of the big tour companies here in D.C. So they weren't my tours. I was giving tours for somebody else, and I was just an employee of the company. So it was a side job. I don't know if I consider it a side hustle the way that many of your guests have side hustles, but I always kind of knew that it would be great to be the boss and not be just the tour guide. And so I always had this idea that I would love to lead my own tours. The challenge for many years was just how to get started. I struggled with that because this business, this industry, it's really heavily driven by advertising. And I just didn't know how I could outspend the big guys. I mean, they're spending a fortune acquiring customers, and I just didn't know how I could do it. Was there any conflict of interest in saying, okay, I'm going to spin off my own thing? Or was it just like a clean break? It was a clean break. I was always happy to work for the guys that I worked for, and they do a a different type of tour. I do exclusively walking tours. They do bike and segway tours. So we weren't necessarily competing with each other head-to-head. And the other great thing about a lot of the tour companies in D.C. is that we're pretty cordial. There's not a lot of, you know, really cutthroat competition because the, the way I see it, and I think the way that a lot of us see it, is that we're competing with some international companies that have buses in every city in the world. And so us little local guys, we're not competing with each other. We're competing with those big guys. And so to the extent that we can work together, it benefits us all. Fair enough. So how did you answer that marketing part of the question of like, okay, well, these guys are spending big bucks trying to get customers in the door or to sign up for these tours. How are you as a solo operator going to, first of all, differentiate and second of all, like stand out for attention? So I kind of discovered it by accident because I was taking my own vacation a few years ago. And as part of my trip planning process, I was Googling all kinds of questions. I was looking for the best places to eat, how to ride the local public transportation in the cities where we were going. 
And I found myself down one of those YouTube rabbit holes that people often go down and on a channel where the person who was hosting the channel had lots of great information about one of the cities where I was traveling to. And I wound up watching a whole bunch of these videos and thinking, man, this is really fantastic. The information's good. The personality of the host is great. And I noticed something interesting, which is that when I went down into the comments of the video, there were lots of people who would write things like, wow, this is great. You're amazing. Can you show me around when I come? Can I pay you to give me a tour of your city when I get there? And every time she would respond and say, nope, sorry, I'm, I'm not a tour guide. That's not what I do. And so the light bulb kind of went off in that moment. And I said, well, hold on a second. I am a tour guide and I would love to have a company and have people pay me just like this to give them tours around the city. And so I said, you know, I could, I could make videos like this, maybe not as good, at least in the beginning, but I could, I could give it a shot. And so went on that big vacation, had a great time, came back. And then I think I was on the plane ride back when I found the Side Hustle show because I was trying to figure out just the basics of getting this thing going. So it got started right away. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you for tuning in from the early days and taking action and really making something happen here. Do you remember, so YouTube turned out to be the marketing strategy rather than going on TripAdvisor and trying to get hundreds and hundreds of reviews. And maybe maybe that came later. So you started creating content on YouTube for prospective DC visitors to learn about their upcoming trip. Do you remember like some of the first videos that you made? Oh, I absolutely do. Because as it turns out, they're still to this day, some of the most popular and most viewed videos on the channel. The first one I ever made was, I think it was called 10 apps that you should download for your trip. And I just showed on the screen a screenshot of 10 apps that I use and that people can use. And that one is really popular. And then the second one that I made, I actually re-recorded it because I was so unhappy with how the first few takes turned out, is How to Ride the DC Metro, which is by far, without a doubt, the most viewed video on the channel. And so even though it was the second one I ever made, it's the one that most people wind up watching, or at least the first one that they wind up watching if they watch more than one. Interesting. So you're taking people through kind of a, a virtual tour of like, here's how the metro system works here. And enough people watch this and they say, you know what? I like this guy, Rob. I want to uh, hang out with him when I'm in town. And they contact, I mean, is there a call to action at the end of the video? Like, how do they end up saying like, it's one thing to type in how to ride the DC Metro. And it's a, a little bit of a leap to say like, I want to take a tour from this guy. Yeah. So the great thing is that since the very beginning, I had the idea that this was going to be used to sell tours. Every video has two calls to action, one at the very beginning and one at the very end. So I say, at the very beginning, hi, I'm Rob. I'm a tour guide here in Washington, D.C. If you're interested in tips and tricks for your visit, go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And if you're interested in signing up for a tour, when you get here, head on over to the website after you're done watching the videos and see what we offer. And then I do basically the same thing again at the end. So every single video has that call to action in it. Every single video has a link to the tours on the website in the description. And so that's pretty much how I do it. Oh, okay. So a little bit of kind of upfront work before starting the channel in that you had to have the website set up to point people back to. Right. So I created the website and probably three months later posted the first video and then probably two and a half months after that acquired the first customer. So it was not, it did not all happen at once. It was definitely a process that first year. Well, you've been giving tours for, for years, so you're kind of used to that part. But can you tell me about your first solo booking or your first Trip Hacks DC booking? So I published the first video, I think, on April 30th or May 1st of that year, and I had the website up, and there was a 
calendar where you could go and see my availability and book a tour. And it just kind of sat for months and months. And every day I would look and nobody had booked. And so I just go on with my life. And then it was like the middle of July and I got the notification email, somebody's booked a tour. And I was like, oh my God, this actually worked. Somebody actually watched a video, went to the website exactly as they were supposed to and booked a tour with me. And the, the crazy thing is that that took two and a half months just to get that first booking. But that first customer, they booked like a month before their trip. So they booked it in July, even though they weren't coming until August. And before they actually came, so before I gave them a tour, I got like four or five other bookings. So I guess when it rains, it pours. That summer, it just all came together. What do you attribute that to? Was that just this stuff starting to get indexed and aged in YouTube and those algorithms starting to work in your favor? Yeah, I mean, you've had other guests on this podcast who do YouTube, and so I think you sort of have a general idea of how it works. But when you're brand new, they don't push your stuff out. You really have to produce a lot of content before and start getting some people to to view it before they really say, hey, this person's someone who we think is making good stuff that we should start promoting in the side of other videos or putting at the top of the search. And so it just took a while to get that ball rolling. But I had a sense that it was going to work. And the reason I did is because before I made a single video, I just went on YouTube and I searched for some of the topics that I had planned to make videos on. So for example, how to ride DC Metro. The top video at the time was a video that had like 150,000 views. And to be completely honest, it, it wasn't even good. I mean, it was someone on their own vacation. They didn't have a steady hand. It was filmed on a cell phone. It, it just wasn't good quality material. And I said, I could do better than this. Even without any skill or practice, I could make a better video than this. And I did, and it worked because people were looking for an answer to that question and there wasn't anything else better that was out there. Did you have any background in video editing, video production to, to give yourself the confidence to say, shoot, I could do better than that? I mean, I've been making home movies for a long time when I was in high school. My classmates and I did Beowulf. That was fun. And, you know, when my family goes on vacation, I had a GoPro that I bought years ago because I thought it would be fun to take that on vacation and just make a home movie about our trip. So that was actually the camera that I started making the TripHex DC videos with was the same GoPro camera that I bought for my family vacations. Nice. So you mentioned the link to your website. There's a calendar booking tool there. What tool is that that allows people to kind of reserve a spot on the calendar and pay you? Yeah, that's a WordPress plugin called Team Booking. I think I bought it for $30 one-time fee, and it has been absolutely amazing. I dabbled in another service over the summer and just wasn't very happy with it. One, one thing about this industry is that there are a lot of these SaaS companies, these software as a service companies in this exact niche, booking software for tour companies. And there's just so many choices and some of them are really expensive and it's just, you kind of have to try them out to know what you're getting into. I love the WordPress plugin, but it's very simple. So I can only take bookings through my own website. So for example, over the summer, I wanted to experiment with letting people book a tour directly through TripAdvisor and I would need, you know, integration to their API. And so I had to use this other software and just wasn't very happy with how it turned out. So this upcoming season, I'm going to revisit exactly what I think might work best. Okay. And the advantage of routing people through there is a more seamless way to get reviews and hopefully build up exposure on that platform. Well, the, this is one of the great debates in the tour industry is whether these companies are good or bad for business. So a company like TripAdvisor, we would call an online travel agency or an OTA for short. And this is how most 
tour companies get started is this is the top of their funnel are these companies and they'll go to TripAdvisor, they'll go to Expedia, they'll go to Get Your Guide, they'll just try to get on all of them. And so that when someone's researching their trip, they type in Washington DC tours, they wind up on one of these websites and your tour is one of the options in the list. And then ideally someone would book from there. The problem is that these guys charge really high commissions. So on the low end, you're looking at 20% to 30%. Some are starting to even go up higher than that. And so it winds up being a rather expensive way to acquire customers if you rely on it for a lot of your business. And it's also sort of out of your control because their incentives are to sell the most tours and to earn the most commissions. And so if your tour isn't performing well on their website, they're not going to promote it. They're not going to put it at the top of the results. And so it's, it's very risky. It's a very risky strategy. So for some people, they have been relying on it for so long that they really can't stop. I've never really relied on it. It's always been lucky for me that I've been able to use YouTube as the top of my sales funnel and bring people straight to my website so that I haven't had to worry too much about them. Yeah, it's a counterpoint to kind of the buy buttons theory that we've put forth and, and talked about at length, kind of tapping into these pre-existing marketplaces of buyers like, hey, I want to get in front of people traveling to DC. They're likely to land on one of these sites when they're looking for things to do. So I need to have a presence there. But you're saying, hey, you don't need to, first of all. And if you do, it can be expensive. You're paying a platform fee. And so you've avoided that platform fee and just paid for it with your time and expertise in creating these videos. Yeah. And the other way that I look at it is that these websites, these online travel agencies, people who wind up on them are people who are already looking for a tour. And that's not necessarily the majority of people who are coming on a trip. So I don't think of my competition necessarily as other tour companies, I think of my competition as anything else that someone could do with their time. And so what has sort of been validated is when people come on my tours and they say, this isn't something we usually do. We normally just walk around the city on our own and just kind of explore solo. But this is the first time we've actually signed up, paid someone to take us on a tour, and it's been great, and we're going to keep doing it. So to me, the the great thing about the videos is that it's reaching people who are looking for content, they're looking for information, tips for their trip. They're not necessarily looking for a tour when they get to me at first. And so I think that that's great because it's bringing in a customer that otherwise wouldn't have found me on one of those websites anyway. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's a much wider funnel because you're creating content for really anybody who's traveling to, to DC instead of somebody who's already kind of narrowed it, narrowed down their mind and said, I want to take a tour. Ever played around with Airbnb experiences? I have not. And the reason is because they didn't exist when I was getting started. I probably would have if they had existed at the time. They came around maybe a year, year and a half later. And at that point, I had already established my business well enough that I didn't really feel like I had to go over there. And I was also pretty worried about a lot of the restrictions that they had in place at the time. So when they launched, they wanted you to make tours exclusively for their platform. And I wasn't going to do that. Now, lots of people post tours on there that are not exclusive. They're breaking the rules. They don't seem to be enforcing them. So I'm not quite sure if or when they ever will. And then the other thing is that they just didn't have a system that would accommodate my business model. So I do private tours, which means that it's just me and the small group who books with me. So if it's your family coming to DC, it would just be your family and me. And Airbnb was really only accommodating group tours at the time, which is more of you have four people in your family, you buy four tickets, you show up, there's people who bought tickets, and you all kind of go together. 
And so I wasn't doing that at the time. And so it just didn't work. So I just kind of passed on it, honestly, and haven't really gone back because I haven't really seen a need to. Right. And my understanding too is no set minimum. So if you only have one person sign up, you got to go do that tour. Right, exactly. And that's the other reason why the private tours were so appealing to me at the beginning is because I was either going to earn exactly the amount that I wanted or I wasn't going to work. And so there was no chance that I went out and earned $30 for three hours of my time, which is the risk that you run when you use a platform like Airbnb. Well, let's talk about that pricing element. How did you figure out how much to charge? So I undercharged my first year. I know this. And the way that I sort of thought about it was how much would this cost if people did buy tickets for it. And I came to the idea that it would cost $45 per ticket. That's based on everybody else in the industry, in the market. And then I said, okay, I would call a sellout 10 tickets sold. And so 10 times 45 is $450. And so I thought that that might be a little rich for a company that had no real reviews, not a lot of established business yet. So I just kind of lowered it to $250 that first year. So it was for any group up to 10, $250. You can go on the website, you can book it, and then you can go on a tour with me. And I'm always kind of tweaking the pricing. I did raise it to 300 this past year. It didn't seem to have any impact on bookings. No one commented, complained, anything like that. I might do some tests during the really busy months to try it a little bit higher. But for now, I've kind of settled on $300 for a three-hour tour and $200 for the two-hour version, which I only really run in the winter. Okay. Yeah. It's freezing out here. Let's get back inside and, and have some hot chocolate. Okay. Yeah. It's a little easier for people to stomach being outdoors for only two hours. But if people want to go for three, I always am more than happy to take them out for all three. And so you're doing these evenings after your day job. Yeah, so it kind of worked out perfectly in that regard. So being a tour guide for all those years, I knew that the most popular tour in Washington, D.C. is the Evening Monuments Tour. I knew this because when I worked for those other guys, they sold more of that tour than all their other tours combined. And so I knew that when I started, that's what I was going to do, an evening tour of the monuments. It's the tour that everybody has and it's not that novel or unique. But my thought at the time was I don't need to be different. I just need to be better. And I thought I could do it better by using these small groups. And so it worked perfectly because I work my regular job nine to five, and then my office is close to the monuments. And I walk right over there. 15 minutes later, I'm at the meeting spot. And so it, it kind of naturally worked out perfectly. And then I do do daytime tours and weekends as well. I actually prefer to do the morning tours, to be completely honest, but only, only offer those on the weekends. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
indeed.com slash side hustle show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Do you see yourself going down the path of hiring subcontractor tour guides. Like we talked to Alex Kennan a couple years on the show and that's kind of was her model for Urban Hiker SF where she didn't have to be the person leading the hikes anymore. Yeah, I remember that episode. It was a fantastic inspiration for me. And yes, I've already actually done that. I have two tour guides. Well, I had two tour guides in the 2019 season and I'm hoping to build that up to a team of four or five tour guides for the 2020 season. As anyone who has a service business quickly discovers, a single person doesn't scale, and there's only so many hours in the week that you can personally do the service. And so I have added other tour guides. And it's tricky because I don't have the time to train them. Since this is a side hustle for me, I can only take on experienced tour guides. And that really limits the number of people who I can bring in. It really means that I have to pay them a lot more than I would someone who is training up from scratch. But it's worth it. It's worth it to have people who I can trust, who I know, are going to deliver a quality tour and don't need me to hold their hand. That's what I've done so far, and I'm hoping to grow that again in 2020. And do you ever run into your old coworkers like while you're out on this evening monuments tour, and they'll be like, "Oh, Rob, he started his own thing. I wish I could be like him." Yeah, most tour guides, to be completely honest, don't stick around the industry for more than a season or two. Most of the folks I worked with when I was at the other company, they were college kids. They were just, you know, it was just a summer job for them. And so they, they've moved on to other things. I was watching Jeopardy one night, and one of my former colleagues was on Jeopardy. So that was really fun to see. I tried to recruit him. He wasn't interested in working for me, but that's okay. <laughs> He's playing that Jeopardy money now. Okay. Exactly right. Yeah. I, I thought it would be perfect because one of the tours that I added in the second year is actually what I call a trivia tour. And so it's, it's the same tour, the same sites, and same stops. We still go to all the monuments, but we play a trivia game as we go. And so it's sort of a little twist that makes it a little, a little more fun than some, somebody who's looking for something more than just walking around seeing monuments. Gives them a little something extra to do. Oh, I love it. I'm definitely booking that next time I'm in uh, D.C. Look forward to having you. Does it get old giving the same tour, talking about the same stuff night after night after night? Yeah, that's a, that's a funny question. People that come on my tours ask me that all the time, too. And the answer, surprisingly, is no. And in the monuments, they're always the same, but the people are always different. And one of the reasons why I love the private tour model so much is because whether you know this is happening or not, I'm always tailoring the tour specifically for the group. So if I have a group of people who are just huge history buffs, they've read all the books, they know Hamilton, 
word for word, and they come on my tour. I'm gonna I'm gonna give them a different tour than someone who's visiting from another country, who doesn't know what the War of 1812 is, who you know is just looking for the basics. And so, on a private tour, I can do that, and I do do that. That's one of the things that makes it a little bit better to sign up for a private tour is because it's, it's tailored for you. But we try to do that even with the group tours that we we have as well. Going back to the YouTube stuff, how are you coming up with content? I mean, you've got tons and tons of stuff related to traveling to DC. Like, How are you coming up with this content? I mean, this is a pretty deep channel at this point. Yeah, over 100 videos at the time we're recording this. Actually, coming up with content is easy for me. And it's just because I've been in this industry for so long. I started with some common tourist topics. Public transportation is huge. People want to know what to do because a lot of people visit Washington, D.C. from a part of the country or part of the world where they've never ridden a subway before. And so it's a big source of anxiety. They want to know how to do it. Hotels. You know, we have over 100 hotels in the city and it's overwhelming. And so to the extent that I can help people figure that out, I know that that's something that they'll find valuable. And I also pay attention to the questions that people leave in comments on the videos or the questions that they email me. Because if one person is asking this question, there's probably a whole lot more people out there who also have the same question. And so that makes it a good potential video topic. Yeah, I mean, these have tens of thousands of views. Like, here are your tips for visiting the Smithsonian. Here are your tips for uh, you know taking a tour of the White House and the Capitol and the Supreme Court. Like you said, here's how to ride the DC Metro. Yeah, kind of any questions that people would have, they'll find it on this channel. And over time, that call to action of like, hey, I'm Rob, I'm a tour guide in Washington, D.C., go to my website to book it. So it definitely seems to be adding up. Yeah, like I said, I, I kind of think of the videos as the top of the funnel. And I don't know what the number of touch points you have to have with a potential customer is before they eventually buy from you. But there's over 100 videos, so there's many potential touch points that I have with customers just from the videos alone. I also have a podcast, the Trip Hacks DC podcast, and I guess I would consider that kind of the middle of the funnel. Someone who's going to the podcast doesn't discover it by chance. They watch videos and then they want even more, and so they find themselves over on the podcast. And so that's another way of, of just really building up that potential relationship. Yeah, absolutely. If they're going to spend that kind of time with you in their earbuds and invest that much time into making this trip the best it can be, yeah, that's a that's a hot lead for sure. YouTube Analytics is showing me 1.4 million lifetime views for the Trip Hacks DC channel. So you can get a sense of kind of the, the volume of viewership that Rob has over there. So you're, I imagine you're making money on YouTube ads at that level. Has that become a significant revenue stream? Yes and no. I do have YouTube ads on the videos, and no, it is not a significant revenue stream. <laughs> I think it's maybe 5% of the total company revenue, and I don't mind. In fact, I don't want it to become a significant portion of the company revenue because there's so many people who make their living off of YouTube ads, and it's like they're stressed out all the time because the algorithm changed again, the FTC is cracking down, there's a new law that's going to get passed, and it's just like, we have control over none of this. And so if it stays a tiny percentage of the total revenue, I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm, I'm happy just using that money to upgrade my technology every year, rather than to use it as a, an actual source of income. Yeah, I look at it similarly, like the YouTube ad revenue is, is just kind of gravy. And for me, it's nothing significant. I mean, it's a couple hundred bucks a month, which I'm not going to turn down. And it's kind of addicting to watch that like 28-day rolling number move up and down. You're like, oh no, I gotta, I gotta publish a new video. 
but it's there. And unless you're a full-time YouTuber, it's kind of hard to bank on that. So it's probably smart to have your own product and service that you're selling on, on the back end. You mentioned referring people to hotels, and I imagine you could do Airbnb as well. Like, hey, there's a bunch of hotels. Here's some Airbnb. Use my referral link to get 30 bucks off your stay or whatever it is. Did the hotels like give you affiliate commissions? If you have certain favorites that you recommend and refer people to? So I refer people to my favorite hotels, not because they have the best affiliate commissions. And in fact, Hyatt, they won't even let me in their program at all. So I earn nothing when I refer someone to a Hyatt hotel, but I want people to get the best information. And so I have a hotel guide. It's got 11 areas where you can stay. It's got two or three hotels in each area. And I say, this is where I would send my own mother. This is where I would stay if my apartment flooded and I needed a place to stay. Like these aren't places that I'm just promoting because they paid me. It's where I think you should. And hotels are really tricky when it comes to affiliates because people don't book on the hotel website necessarily. They might use Expedia. They might use booking.com. And they also, it's not an impulse purchase. So a lot of these Amazon affiliate websites, it's like, I see a review for something, I click it, I buy, right? Whereas people are spending more time, they're researching hotels, they're going off the website, coming back to the website, and the cookies might not last long enough to capture their sales. So in theory, it's a great opportunity because those are high ticket items. You know, when you stay at a hotel for a few days, that might be a few hundred bucks. But in reality, it's really ha hard to capture that from an affiliate marketer's perspective. And I earn a little, but it's, it's just a little. Fair enough. I'm, I'm trying to brainstorm different uh, revenue streams for you because I think it's, it's pretty cool, the content library and the audience that you built. Anything else that's ringing the cash register these days? Yeah, I've got a few miscellaneous sources. I have an ebook. It's a Kindle book. And I, I did it because people, at this point, to watch all those videos would take you something like five hours. And that's, that's a lot to ask. And so I just wanted everything written down in one place. So I threw it into an ebook and that, that gets a few sales. I have merch on my website, which I added because people asked for it and don't really buy. That maybe only earned a hundred bucks last year. <laughs> they, they asked for it. It sounded like a good idea at the time, but then they're like, eh, no thanks. Yeah. The funny thing is that the two or three people who emailed me asking if they could buy a shirt, none of them actually wound up buying one. So it doesn't cost me anything to keep it. It's just a print on demand sort of thing. So I set it up once and it just runs itself, but that's there. And then, you know, every once in a while, someone will ask if they can pay me to like do a consultation call for their trip or something like that. And I don't advertise that as a service. It's not something that I really want to have as a service because it's a lot trickier to schedule and to do, but I have done a few of those as well for people who really wanted me to. All right. All right. Anything else on the YouTube front that you're doing once you hit publish on a video to make sure that it sticks in the algorithm or is it just over time, continue to pump out good content and the algorithm learns what this channel is about and serves it up to people? I mean, I'm pretty obsessed with best practices, and that's definitely applicable to the YouTube videos as well. So before I made a single video, I did a ton of research. I listened to the episode you did with Thomas Frank here on this podcast and listened to his best practices and tips. And there's a tool called TubeBuddy that many YouTubers use that helps you make sure you're adding all the tags that you want to add. It helps suggest the best tags. It has a keyword search research tool that I use. And so the most important thing is just being consistent. So I try to get a video up every Sunday. In the off season, I do kind of 
take weeks off here and there. So it's not every single Sunday, but I do try to get one up every Sunday, especially during the peak time of year, because this is a seasonal business. When I know people are planning out their trip, I'm going to try to have a video every single week so that YouTube knows that I'm still, I'm still around. I'm still making videos. Okay. When are you coming up with the time to do this? If you're working all day, giving tours three hours at night and trying to come up with a video, it seems where, where are the hours are coming from? Yeah, it may seem like my workflow is on Friday, I write a script on Saturday, I film and edit a video and on Sunday I post it. But the reality is that everything happens in batches and this is a seasonal business and there are very busy times of year. In March and April, we have the Cherry Blossom Festival and that's an extremely busy time. In July, there are a lot of people here on family vacation and then January and February, it's dead. And so I have lots of time on my hands during those months. And so what I'll do is I'll say, all right, can I get 10, 15, maybe even 20 videos produced during these months when I'm not out giving tours because nobody's here? And to the extent that I can get everything front-loaded when I do get to a busier time of the year and I don't have the time to work on this, it's already done and it's already ready to go. Gotcha. Is the podcast similar content? Is it just like, here's an audio version of the video? It's similar topics, but the reason I created it is because despite what some people think after watching a few videos, I am not an expert on all things Washington, D.C., and I just can't make videos on some topics, at least not in a way that I would feel comfortable presenting information. So, for example, two of my favorite podcast episodes, one is about the weather, and I spent 40 minutes with one of the most respected meteorologists in Washington, D.C., and he just talked about what the weather phenomenon here are like, and I just Totally geeked out over that one because that's a really important topic to a tour guide, but one that I know nothing about other than I wake up, I read the weather report in the paper, and I go about my day. And the other one was about restaurants. I had as my guest the food editor for Washingtonian Magazine, one of the magazines that does a lot of food content. She said that she ate at over 100 restaurants in Washington, D.C. to prepare the best restaurants guide that they put out. Well, if I eat at one restaurant a week, that's a lot for me. So I just don't have any real sense of what good and not so good restaurants are around here. And people find that surprising, but it's just kind of how it is. So to be able to have people come on and give information and provide content that I can't necessarily, that's what the podcast is really for. Cool. Well, Rob, this has been awesome. What's, what's next for you? What's 2020 have in store? You mentioned adding some subcontractors to your team. What else is on the horizon? Yeah, the big one for 2020 is growing the team. And I would like to have them leading the trivia tour multiple times per week and giving me the opportunity to focus all of my attention on the private tours. And so, you know, in 2019, the trivia tour, we ran it twice a week during the busy season and once a week during the shoulder season. And I would really love to double that, get it up to four times a week during the busy season and twice a week during the, the shoulder season and to have the team handle all of it and to let me focus in on the private tour. So that's that's my big goal for 2020. Fair enough. Well, check Rob out at triphacksdc.com or over on YouTube, youtube.com slash triphacksdc. Thanks so much for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Practice makes perfect. And I say that because my earliest videos, they're pretty cringy, just like anyone who makes videos or podcasts. You know, you go back to the earliest stuff and it's not their best. And that's okay because just by doing it, you get practice. And when I think back to the tours that I gave eight years ago, 
I know that they weren't good by my current standards, but I had to start somewhere. And when people ask me how I got good at giving tours, it was not a natural skill, that's for sure. It's just hundreds and hundreds of hours of practice that got me to where I am now. Absolutely. You got to get in the reps. And I think everybody is embarrassed by their early efforts. It's, I mean, that's the Reed Hoffman quote. If you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you shipped too late. So again, Rob, thank you so much for joining me and we'll catch up with you soon. Hey, I know you've got big plans this year to launch and grow your business, but as you do, you're going to want to make sure you've got the right tools and procedures in place. One of those tools that's a must-have if you invoice customers is our sponsor, FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the award-winning accounting software designed for side hustlers ready to take that next step. Here's how FreshBooks makes running your business easier. First, you can automate your invoices, so all you got to do is sit back and wait for payments. Then you can give your accountant access to all the information they need to do your taxes and give you advice on how you can save some money. And finally, you can accept credit card and ACH payments right on invoices to get paid faster. With all these efficiencies, FreshBooks can actually save you up to 200 hours a year. What are you going to do with all that extra time? Right now, Side Hustle Show listeners can claim a 30-day free trial of FreshBooks. There's no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the Side Hustle Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle. All right, my top three takeaways from this call with Rob. I actually took a ton of notes during this call. What can I say? Rob is a very quotable guy. But takeaway number one for me is, it's not that novel or unique. He said, I couldn't be different, but I could be better. And I'd probably argue that better is different. But my takeaway here is it doesn't necessarily take a, quote, new business idea. There's a lot of benefits in starting a business that isn't a brand new idea. For one, other companies have already validated demand for you. Rob knew the people were already taking tours in D.C. He knew how much they were paying for them. And he knew which ones were the most popular. He just had to come up with a creative way to reach those customers and convince them to choose his tour over all the other options. So that's takeaway number one. Don't beat yourself up trying to come up with some crazy, never-before-seen business idea. Takeaway number two, and this is straight out of Seven Habits, is start with the end in mind. When Rob started making his YouTube videos, he said he knew from the very beginning this was going to be used to sell. And because of that, his call to action is there from the very start. He knew producing this type of content would work because he saw it firsthand on uh, the other travel videos that he was watching for his own trip. And then Rob had the patience to start putting himself out there and then go two and a half months before seeing his first booking. Would you have given up during that two and a half months? Is that the dip? This is a very indirect marketing approach. So I think the lead times are going to be longer. But still, I imagine it would have been pretty easy to say, ah, shoot, this isn't working. I am excited to start using more video myself to supplement and complement the content on Side Hustle Nation. And I think Rob's business is a cool example of what you can do on YouTube, even if you have a local in-person service business, not necessarily what YouTube should be known for, like international audience and all that jazz. But it wasn't just creating videos for the sake of creating videos. He had a plan in place for those and the results those videos would deliver. So that's takeaway number two, to begin with the end in mind. Takeaway number three is to grow the pie. I thought this was super cool when Rob said, I don't think of my competition necessarily as other tour companies. I think of my competition as anything else someone could do with their time. Through his videos, he's bringing new customers into his world that maybe never considered taking a tour in the first place. He's growing the pie, not necessarily trying to win market share, 
at the cost of somebody else's business. And because he's building this pretty personal relationship with viewers through his videos, they want to do business with him. That means he's not competing on price to the extent many other tour operators have to. He's got his own source of leads, and that doesn't necessarily depend on being ranked well on TripAdvisor. If you think of the equivalent in e-commerce, Rob's built his business to have zero reliance on Amazon rankings and reviews, right? That's, I think, my favorite part about this whole thing, is that marketing doesn't have to be a zero-sum game, and you can grow the pie just like Rob has. Once again, you'll find the full text summary of our call, all of Rob's top tips, and links to all the resources mentioned over at SideHustleNation.com slash TripHacksDC. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show, where I'm going to attempt a decade in review, a dive into the highs and lows of my last 10 years as a full-time entrepreneur, and uh, some of the most important lessons and turning points along the way. I'll see you then. Hustle on.